Today we're going to talk about another of the more common questions I get asked. How much training is the right amount for non-technical skills? You know, training on the skills that reduce customer complaints, confusion with the team, and unnecessary stress for me. Well, I have definite thoughts on this topic, so stay tuned to hear what they are. Running a service business can be hard. It is not unusual for business owners in industries like contracting, home repair, auto repair, business-to-business services like janitorial, IT and accounting, and many others to feel overwhelmed by all the priorities facing them at any given time. Between addressing the needs of the customers, managing the employees, figuring out the financials, and getting processes in place, feeling like you're making significant progress on your business journey can be difficult. Welcome to Service Industry Success, hosted by Brian Harding. Each week, Brian will look at real-world strategies for building the business you are dreaming of, while also sharing tactics to get through some of the most frustrating parts of business ownership with a lot more ease. Let's get started. All right, so as you guys may know, I've worked for a number of companies in my career. Um, You know, not like 40, but 10-ish, I guess, 12, maybe something like that. Uh, I've worked for large corporations, medium-sized corporations, what I would call large privately owned companies, you know, over 50 or 100 employees, small privately owned companies. I've been an entry-level employee more than once. I've been a medium-level employee as far as like seniority and capabilities and skills and that kind of thing. I've been a high-performing revenue-producing employee. I've been a low, middle, and high-level manager. And as a business owner, I've owned a small company with less than 10 employees and what I would call maybe a medium-sized company, 10 to 25, and and maybe what you call a large company, more than 50 employees. And I've seen a number of training styles from people who were task-oriented, relationship-oriented, good managers, bad managers, great at articulating expectations, poor communicators, despised bosses, and love leaders. And here are some things I've learned uh, and come to believe about training. And here's what I see both as a person in these companies and now as a person who helps people build their own companies and helps with their own training programs. Here's what I see people, what appears to me that they're doing when when I first meet folks a lot of times. And it's it's this kind of um, training approach of what's the least amount of training that is required to be able to demand the highest performance. What's the least amount of training we can do to, to have a reasonable expectation we can expect people to perform at a high level? Or what's the, what's the least amount to get the best benefit? It's some kind of calculation like that. Or there's also this kind of hacky sack approach, which is, you know, you can't let the ball hit the ground. And we just, we just keep batting the ball up and we keep batting the problems up and we keep knocking them up and knocking them up as, it, as if, if a problem hit the ground, like customer complaints are going to happen and processes are going to fail and there's going to be all kinds of problems. We just keep this kind of hacky sack approach. Like every week we're going to talk about the same thing, just kind of keep it top of mind and keep, but we don't really solve a problem though. Like there's no, there's no through line in the training. There's no structure to it. There's, there's not, it's not proactive at all. It's completely reactive. It's just, what did we screw up last week? We're going to talk about that. We're going to carve out time every week, or every month to talk about things we did wrong last week. And that's what I mean with like a, a hacky stack, a hacky sack style of, of training. It seems like most companies are attempting. And again, I'm talking going back, you know, 30 years now for me, this has been consistent with all the companies I've worked at, companies I've owned, uh, companies I've been a manager in, and now, and now, you know, companies I work with. Like this, these are, these are through lines. These are not like, um, 
people now, like this is a new phenomenon. Like this has been my entire experience, my whole career. Um, it seems like people are just regularly trying to reactive, uh, reactively prevent problems from reoccurring. We had a problem last week. We want to talk about it. So we don't happen again. So it doesn't happen again. And then we don't talk about it again for three months. And then it happens again. Then we talk about the week after that. We try to keep these key topics like top of mind. You know, we want to make sure employees don't forget as if a short memory is for our employees is the root cause of, of most of our problems. Like if they just had a better memory, we wouldn't have to worry about this kind of stuff as, as if that was the root cause of the problem. Um, and I believe, you know, memory is not likely it's a factor for sure. I mean, people can only retain so much. You can't, you can't train 52 topics a week. There's no question about that. So if you're trying to that, then memory might be an issue. But if you have an employee who's been around for five years, memory is probably not the, probably not the challenge. And to be clear here, I'm talking about non-technical training. I'm assuming for most people I work with, your employees are getting training OJT or you have a, a technical training program. The stuff we're talking about today is, you know, some people call them soft skills. I'm talking about things that the experiential stuff the customer goes through, not the technical stuff we do. I'm, sh I'm sure you mostly, you know, have a training program in place that's well-developed as far as technical training. But even if you don't, the stuff we're going to talk about today could apply, but when I'm talking about training today, I'm talking about non-technical training, meaning the experiential customer service, soft skills kind of stuff. So I can't tell you how many times I've experienced or even participated in shortening up training time in favor of more production time, i.e. more revenue producing time. This almost always seems to be the calculation. How much money in training is, or how much money is this costing us in lost revenue lost production time in order to buy this training. That's almost always the calculation. And it reminds me, this. I heard this story. This is one of the stories that we've all kind of heard a version of probably. Uh, the version I'm going to tell is probably not the, the the right version. You've probably heard a similar but different version. But it's the, the point is what matters. And it's um, the way I heard it was there was like a high-level executive at a you know good-sized company that they were talking about training. And he said, we need to spend X amount of dollars, X amount of hours, whatever it is training. It was, it was a, a significant amount. And like a VP or something like that said, you know, what if we spend all this time and money in training these people and they leave? And the CEO says, what if we don't train them and they stay? And I heard that when I was, you know, I don't know, 25 or something like that. And it really stuck with me because at that time I was working in a company that did monthly training, mostly around safety stuff and had a, a pattern of just having expectations that people just knew things just because they were adult human beings. Like that was what was required to know this stuff. And once people were taught things and educated about stuff, like by and large, they did it. Were there exceptions? Yes. But by and large, people, once they knew the criteria to make decisions, once they knew what the customer wanted, once they knew how to, how the customer assessed our performance and how to do a quote unquote, a good job, they did it by and large. But it, starting even back then, and then again, through a number of different experiences, I've worked for companies where they just they just pull up and they short circuit the training before it gets going. And I guess you could make an argument for shortcutting training if you prioritize control and money over freedom in time. So if you're the kind of business owner who says, I want to have control of things, I don't really want to have more than three or four employees, I want to have ultimate control. And I don't mean you would say this out loud, you'd probably be saying it subconsciously or even consciously, but you probably wouldn't speak these words. And I want to have the money more than I want to have the time. And I want to have the control more than I want to have the freedom. If you're in that mindset, then I guess you could pull up on the, on the training some. 
And because you want to have all the decision-making ability and you want to have the money and not train people and not have a leadership team in place, you are committing to like being married to this business and, and kind of having it own you in a sense where if you leave, the business stops. If that's your modality, fine. Then you won't agree with a lot of what I'm going to say today. If, however, you prioritize freedom and time over control and money, or at least you have your time and money as being equal, like, yeah, I want to make some money, but I want the time to go enjoy it. Like money is useless if you can't have the time to enjoy it. Then you have to have people who can make solid decisions. You have to trust their decision-making. We talked a lot about that on here. And this is where the training piece comes up. Well, how much is the quote unquote right amount of time to spend on training? So if you would rather have a team that can make decisions you can trust, you can focus on other things like growing the company, developing a leadership team, traveling or pursuing your hobbies, or just enjoying your life, taking a four-day weekend whenever you want, taking a two-week vacation if you want. If you want those kinds of things, I recommend a different approach. And and I don't look at it like this kind of, not. I don't look at this now. I've done the thing where I've done the reactive training. I've done the reactive hacky sack style, the, hey, we screwed this up last week. We make sure we don't do that again. And there's there's probably always an element of that. There's always an element of, hey, we had a major customer complaint last week. Here's what, Here's how it came about. Let's not do that again. I'm not suggesting we stop doing that stuff. Of course, those things are going to happen. What I am saying is that shouldn't be the skeleton in the in the the curriculum for our training program. We shouldn't. We should know in advance what our training program is. So how I look at it, I I look at training now, having gone through this building my own company when we we struggled in the beginning with this kind of reactive approach to kind of shifting gears and deciding that we wanted to build a company we could step away from. And ultimately, when I sold my company, I was working three days a week, and I only worked you know, 15 hours a week or something like that. I mean, I went to the office three days a week, but I didn't. I wasn't putting in full days, let's put it that way. To get there, we kind of shifted our approach and began looking at this like, we have to fill up this container of knowledge for our employees. And I can spend as much time or as little time each week, each month, whatever, filling that container, but I get freedom when that container's full. The sooner that container gets full, the sooner I don't have to babysit things. The sooner that container gets full, the sooner I can work. In my case, I went to four days a week, and then we went to three days a week. And at a certain level of knowledge, our employees were fluent and competent in allowed me that freedom. And so I look at training now, especially the non-technical stuff, but even technical stuff, but mostly, again, we're talking non-technical stuff today. I look at training as I'm filling a container of knowledge. and you know, I have to start with uh, a, a, a curriculum, a plan. So I'm going to cover everything from high-level things to very specific things. And I have to figure out, you know, the, the pace I want to go. Um, I have to figure out how many touches is a particular topic going to need. Some things people get right away. Like, hey, you tell me one time and we're done. Like, fine, I'm on, I'm on it. Some things take 12 times to cover. Some things take 15 times to cover. I mean, just some things people just naturally get. Some things they, they just need more education on. So I need to know how often I need to train it. Once it's learned, how often do I need to touch it again to keep them fluent in this, keep it top of mind again. Um, but, but I can't do the top of mind maintenance training until they really, really get it. What order should I do with these topics in? So, you know, they, they build on each other. They complement each other. They make sense both in a micro and a macro sense. The information I give to them must be um, so that they're fluent in a wide spectrum of information from super high-level ideas like mission, vision, values, 
what are we building? What's our purpose? What hole is left in our industry if we weren't here anymore? What what are the values, the, the rules we're going to use to make decisions about how we operate and the behaviors we display and allow and all that kind of stuff, those high-level ideas to mid-level concepts like who's our customer, why should they buy from us instead of Brand X, besides the same things we all say like price, warranty, experience, workmanship and quality, customer service. Again, all the things our competitors say. Besides those things that we are all saying we're great at, why should they buy from us instead of Brand X? That would be kind of a mid-level thing. And all the way down to details, specific procedures we're going to follow, specific systems we have in place, specific, we don't deviate this under any circumstances, or if we do, we call the boss kind of things. We have to have this, this whole breadth of knowledge that we have to develop. And again, for me, I look at it like this, like a big bucket, like the bottom layer of the bucket is the high level stuff. And I work it all the way up to the top, which is the super specific detailed stuff. And of course, there's going to be things that are super high risk or high liability or super critical to customer experience where I might have to cover some processes and procedures way earlier. Fine. I get all that. But my point is there has to be a plan. It's got to be a proactive approach. And for me, shifting from this kind of reactive, hacky sack, firefighting, here's what we screwed up last week kind of style to once they know these things, I don't have to be here. I can be managing the business from the Caribbean. I can literally be on vacation, and as long as I have internet, if I want, I can manage the business. Or I might just take two weeks off and not be in touch with the business. Once they have that level of knowledge, all those things are on the table. But gaining that level of knowledge takes, you know, objective, proactive, um, by design training, where we have to know, here's the things we're going to teach, here's the the order we're going to teach them in. And here's how long it's going to take us to, to learn or, you know, to educate our folks on these things. In all cases, no matter the, the type of company or quality of the manager delivering the message, the amount of training, in my experience, trumps just about any other predictive indicator of overall performance. So it's a fancy way of saying, in my experience, the companies who invested the most time in training had the better trained employees. The companies who spent less time had weaker trained employees. The employees just didn't know as much. And I mean this sincerely. Like I've worked for companies where the person doing the training wasn't awesome at it, but the company invested a lot of time. And so the employees were better trained. And I've worked for companies where the the people doing the training were awesome. They were absolutely top notch, but they shortcutted the time to save some dollars on revenue. And the people as a result were not trained as well. So do we need to have Training that actually actually educates and teaches, of course. But I would say just having better than average training for twice as long as you know what you might call amazing training, in my opinion, would produce probably better results. Just the conversations that employees have about a topic when they're not rushed are remarkable and so beneficial. If they're just not rushed and they can ask like legit questions, you know, one of the things we talk about a lot on here is our, our kind of rapid fire training. We run in and we say, here, we're going to talk about this thing for six minutes because that's why I have a lot of myself on the calendar today. We got 14 things we got to hit in the agenda and I got six minutes to cover this and bop, 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 fast fire. Any questions? And everybody can feel that you're in a hurry. They're going to ask questions then. They're probably reluctant before, but now they know you're in a big hurry and they're like slowing things down and keeping the deadline from being met and maybe skipping something fun that they want to do it later on in the meeting by asking questions. They're just not going to do that. So just cutting out those, those opportunities for them to ask questions and, and the conversations that employees have when we give them time and say, hey, what do you guys think about this? Do you understand this? 
Tell me how you think this applies. Show me, tell me, explain to me how you think this works in your day-to-day stuff. Tell me why you think this stuff matters. Those conversations I think are so critical and way more important or weighted heavier than the the person who's delivering the message ability to be a great orator or to articulator or trainer. We just have to have time. And so when I talk about time with folks, again, for me, it's it's not a matter of the minimum amount I can do to get the best performance. For me, it's I need to teach all these things. And there's a whole bunch of them, again, from high level things like what's our purpose? What are we trying to build? Where are we going? You know, I always use this analogy. If I called somebody and said, hey, I need a favor. I need you to go on a little road trip with me. The first thing they're going to ask is, where are we going? How long are we going to be gone? Like these are natural human things. We know these things. So these are the kind of things we need to tell our folks right away. Like, where are we going? What are we trying to build? What's our purpose? Why are we here? Why is this company here? What holes left? Those high level things all the way down to the super detailed. Here's a specific procedure. Here's where you find it. Here's why you don't deviate, blah, blah, blah. All those things take a lot of time. And so if I'm going to only do those things 15 minutes a week, because 45 minutes of my one hour meeting is crammed full of all the things we screwed up last week, and I'm going to carve out 15 minutes to do these other fill the bucket, fill the container type training things so I can have freedom. Well, it's going to take me a long time to get that freedom. Or we could say, let's spend a couple hours a week and do it. And I know there's people listening going, a couple hours, that's crazy. Well, that's how I did it. Is is I we committed a couple hours a week. From the time we had, you know, maybe eight employees, six employees, two hours a week, at least, sometimes more, sometimes three, four hours a week, depending on what was going on. And that's why I was able to work four days a week after only a few years. And that's why I was able to work three days a week after only a few years. And the other thing I would just recommend considering is if you only spend one hour a week training your each employee. That's only 2% of the total hours they work for the whole year. So for me, like, that's like a minimum. Like, I'm going to spend 2% of your overall time in training for you to learn how to do this job. I'm going to have high expectations you perform well. If I do less than 2% training, it's hard for me to look at myself in the mirror and go, yeah, that's adequate. I should, I should be able to have this high level of expectation that they do this really well. Um, so again, I'm not saying you have to have that. I'm just saying... That's kind of my threshold. And I know another other thing people are going to be asking is like, well, wait a second. What about technical training? If we're spending two hours a week on this non-technical stuff, what about the technical stuff? Again, that's it's it's kind of the same thing for me. Like there's a there's a, a volume of information. There's an encyclopedia's worth of information they need to learn for me to be able to have freedom to go do other things. Whether those things are work-related or not, I, I can't trust their decision-making until they have learned this encyclopedia of information. The pace I want to teach it is up to me. It's my time that I want to gain. It's my time that I'm sacrificing. So I can I can spend a little bit of time training and take a long time to get there. I can spend a lot of time training, take a little bit of time to get there. The choice is mine. But the the amount of information they have to learn is finite. It's, there's a, a certain amount that has to be learned for them to make solid decisions I can trust. All this reminds me about my book which I haven't mentioned in a while, Service Industry Success, which is available on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Um, I cover all the things I learned from great mentors in my career, starting out as a really crummy supervisor who was not very good at leading people to becoming an expert in leading and developing thriving and productive teams who can make decisions you can trust, like we're talking about today, and who you can accountable to, who you can hold accountable to perform at a high level. So to get your copy at Amazon, just go to sistheBook.com. That's S-I-S, 
as in service industry success, thebook.com to get your copy today. All right. So first thing you got to do is, in my opinion, stop doing the reactive training. Start creating a proactive training program that covers all the necessary topic topics from big ideas all the way down to details and procedures. Rather than having a reactive, what did we screw up last week? Hacky stack style of uh, our system in which um, rather than teaching and educating, we just have a, a routine of carving out time to cover what we didn't do well last, since last time we met last week or last month or whatever. You know, instead of having that just this blank time set aside to cover the screw ups we've had, what is our proactive, thought out, designed training program that teaches this encyclopedia of knowledge from the big ideas all the way down to the details? And one idea builds on the next. Again, I look at this like I'm filling a container of knowledge. The sooner I get there, the sooner I get to be free because I'm not babysitting. The pace I choose is completely up to me, but there is indeed an encyclopedia's worth of knowledge there that has to be learned. So I, however fast I get through it is up to me, but the, the freedom I gain is mine. So um, and I have to know how many touches is a topic going to take and how important is this topic? So when should we train it? How often should we train it? Once it's learned, how many? how often do I need to bring it up again so that it stays top of mind and they're fluent in this stuff and they don't forget about things because we are human and if we don't talk about things, we'll forget. What order should I teach these topics? So they build on each other and they complement each other and they make sense both in a micro and a macro sense. The information that they, they must be fluent in covers a wide spectrum. Again, these high-level ideas all the way down to the mid-level concepts, who's our customer, down to the details, here's specific procedures we got to follow. In all cases, no matter the type of, type of company or the quality of manager delivering the message, in my experience, all cases in my experience, the amount of training can just about predict the quality of performance the employees are going to have. I, I can't think of any exceptions, and I've spent some time thinking about this, getting ready for this episode. I can't think of any exceptions to this. I've had people who were great trainers who didn't spend time doing it, and they had people who were not prepared to make good decisions. I've had people who were kind of clumsy and clunky in doing, doing it, but they committed to it, and their people were, were really well-trained and everything in between. So, uh, yes, we have to have quality training that I would argue you'd have to have this stuff thought out. You can't just like show up with a topic and say, Hey, what do we think about this today? We have to have this stuff thought out, of course. Um, but having better than average training for twice as long, in my opinion, would be better than having amazing training for half as long. Again, just those conversations employees have about a topic when they're not rushed are absolutely remarkable and beneficial. And again, for me, that 2% rule, if I'm going to spend less than an hour a week, training somebody that's less than 2% of the hours they work in a year. I have a hard time looking at myself and saying it's reasonable for me to have an expectation that they perform at a high level. All right. Don't forget to go to SISTheBook.com to get your copy of Service Industry Success today. And if you haven't had a chance yet, pretty please with sugar on top, could you subscribe? It takes like two seconds. Hit that subscribe button. Um, I've had a couple of folks reach out to me and say, hey, I what's the subscribe button you're talking about? It might say follow. Um, there might be a different word, but basically it's just how you get notified uh, when a new podcast comes out, they come out every Tuesday morning. So if you're not getting them, uh, look for that button that says subscribe or follow or something like that. Also, share this podcast with a friend or colleague who's a business owner in the service industry. That's how we grow this thing is, is just like passing around, texting, emailing. Uh, if you're talking to a friend over a beer or something like that, hey, I heard this podcast, you know, send it to him on the phone. It's super easy. Really appreciate all the folks who've been doing that. And if you haven't had a chance yet, give us a reading review. Those are the things we got to do to grow the podcast. And we're, we're just on a mission to help as many business owners as possible. I really believe we're going to be coming into a, an economic time that's not going to be as fun as we've experienced for the last few years. So there's tons of business owners who could use some help and don't know where to start with these kinds of things we talk about. So 
please uh, share it with them. Hope, hope for them to have a, a free resource um, from somebody who's been there. That's the whole point of this thing. So that's all for this week, and I'll see you all next week.